Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me. It's Jonathan Elway. He was so sassy and cool and hey guys, I'm a cowboy. Bang, bang, sling, sling, toss, toss. I'm going to lose all the time. And then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. What's up, people? Here I am yet again for a podcast broadcasting out of eh, near Munich, Germany. I'm a bit depressed this morning. I'm not going to lie. Um, stayed up late to watch some basketball, and the Denver Nuggets, of course, choked their way out of the NBA playoffs. That stings. It still stings. I really couldn't sleep. The game here ended about 1230 um, at night, that is, and I really couldn't sleep until about 2 um, just that feeling, you all know that feeling, that that feeling of disappointment and, and, and heartache from your sports team losing when they 
They had every chance to win. They should have won. They had their home court. They were up three games to two, and it's that's tough. It's a tough one to deal with. But, you know, there is still, I guess, the hope of, you know, they, they, they played over their over themselves. They were better than people expected them to be, and they have a, a long future and a bright future ahead of them, we certainly hope. But as we all know with sports, there are it's a double-edged sword. You know, there, there's the, the sweetness of, hey, it was a great season, and the pain of the season being over, being done. And it's a feeling that obviously we actually really haven't experienced as Broncos fans for several years, that we've only had one edge sword, and it was just the edge of ugliness and pain and despair. And the only thing that started to bring us over to having that double side, you know, the, the little bit of hope, the little bit of, hey, we're moving in the right direction has been the last few drafts. 2018 was a good start. They put in some, brought in some really good talent, and now we believe that they also did the same in 2019. And of course, a new coaching staff. And that that didn't help, obviously, with the whole feelings of, of where this team was headed when they brought in Vance Joseph, who made a disaster out of his first um, press conference and did not come off looking great, let's just say that, and never really looked great his entire tenure. Now, yes, I am on the record for having defended him a bit, but again, to, to beat a dead horse, I defended him because teams have to eventually stick with someone. They have to pick someone and have to say, okay, I'm going to let you sink or swim. Now, yeah, if you have to quit on a guy after a year or two years, then the GM better go and look himself in the mirror and really ask himself some tough questions. And that's obviously what John Elway needed to do and hopefully has done. And it's a really refreshing air around the Broncos scene these days. I think fans are cautiously optimistic. I think people are being a little leery, a little wary of what they say. They don't want to say too much. They don't want to be too excited because, well, that's what fans do, right? And that's where we've been before. We all got excited about Paxton Lynch, you know, being the next guy. And now it's kind of, okay, Drew Locke is the guy and who knows? I mean, the guy can, he could absolutely not pan out. And the good thing is you see that he has learned a few plays from the playbook um, difficult, I guess. I guess he says apparently it's 10 or 12 words each play, which is kind of hard to imagine. But but if he's already learned one play from the playbook, that is a hundred times improvement over how many plays Paxton Lynch learned from the playbook. So you can't get much worse than that. And and I like, as I've said the last few weeks, Drew Locke has a great presence. He, he looks like a guy who could lead your team. We'll see. But it's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice feeling to have that hope again, even if it doesn't turn out, even if it turns out to be garbage, which it might. It's nice. It's nice to see a guy like Vic Fangio, who just he just says it how it is. He's an old dude who's been around the block. He, he, he doesn't mince words. He wears sweatpants. He's real. And he's an adult. And I, and I feel bad for Vance Joseph that, that he was put in a, it, you know, a tough position. And it was a position that he just didn't seem honestly qualified to fill. Now, yeah, that's his fault, of course, but it's also John Elway's fault. John Elway put a guy in that position who did not appear to be ready to be a head coach in the National Football League. Now, maybe someday Vance Joseph will will mature a little bit more as a coach and he'll be able to do it. But right now, it, it did not seem like he was ready. Just like Josh McDaniels was not ready to be a GM 
like he when he came to Denver. Now, maybe he was a good coach. Maybe he's a fantastic offensive coordinator. But eventually, you have to have that extra little bit of, of I don't know, maturity, leadership, you know, tactical skills, etc. And it's hard. It's a hard job. I mean, I mean, why do you think coaches get fired? What is it? I mean, a third of the league gets fired like every year. And yeah, I mean, it's nice to at least to see a guy who who we can look at as an adult, a guy who controls the room, a guy who knows a, he has a plan. He has a plan, and that is what the Broncos have desperately, desperately needed. That at least if the Broncos fail, if the Broncos had had bad seasons the last few years, it would still hurt. Like like the Denver Nuggets loss. It hurts. Of course it hurts. Losses always hurt. When you look at a season and you say, oh, it's over. I don't have basketball until October. That sucks. I don't care who's playing the rest of the year. I'm not going to watch any Golden State Portland games. I don't give half a darn. So it's done. I, it's done for the next, what, four or five months. And that's a bummer. And it's the same with the Broncos, of course. You have a bad team and you, you don't make it to the playoffs you're done for six months, that's not a pleasant feeling. And it's not for anybody. And when you don't have that extra hope of, it's okay, there's a plan. Yeah, we didn't make it this year, but there is something coming in the future. We see where this team is headed. We have stars to build around. We have a team that is projecting, that is heading in the right direction. The Denver Nuggets absolutely are in that position. It hurts. They choked. They should have won. I'm not going to give them, you know, a pass on that. We can't be too nice as fans. It wasn't a good game. They should have won. They lost. They missed a huge chance. That they could have faced Golden State in the in the Western Conference Finals, and they're probably not going to have Kevin Durant now. Yeah, Golden State's still Golden State, but they had a golden opportunity and they missed it. So it's a bummer. But you look at the Denver Nuggets and you see a plan. You see a head coach who's been there for four years now. He's not going anywhere. He, he has a contract extension. He has a, a, a plan that has shaped, that has formed, that has worked. You build around defense. You build around passing. You, you, you have the most assists in basketball. You guard the, the three-point line, the best in basketball, etc. And Vic Fangio, at least to me, seems like a guy who has a plan. Now, if that plan works, we'll see. Maybe they'll be terrible. Maybe he'll be the worst head coach in 10 years. We don't know yet. But he's a guy with a plan. And that's something that I don't think Vance Joseph ever seemed to have. He kind of came in and was like, okay, well, here we go. Let's let's have some nice practices and, and let's hope it transfers into the games. And he was also put in a bad spot because Elway didn't give him a quarterback. We got to remember that. Rag on Vance Joseph as much as you want. When a team has Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, and Case Keenum as your quarterbacks, what, I mean, come on. What do you think Vance Joseph is going to do? That was also why I defended Vance Joseph. You can't only dump all this garbage on him. You had a team that that was that didn't show up. They weren't high characters. There was no leadership. Now, everyone blames that on Vance Joseph, and partly it's his fault, but yeah, the players themselves admit it. I, I have commenters saying that, you know, oh, I don't like Kevin's show because he's too mean, and he, he says mean things about players. Okay, tough. 
the players themselves have admitted that the locker room was a mess. They've admitted there was no accountability. That's not coming from me. I'm not making that up. That's coming from guys like like Derek Wolf, Chris Harris Jr., Shelby Harris. They're glad now that there's an adult in the room who can spank their butts if they get out of hand. I still think it's ridiculous that players, that adult men need that. But I guess, be that as it may, at least they have that now. There's a plan. There's an adult leading this ship, steering the ship in, in a direction. Vic Fangio has, has come across this whole offseason as saying his mentality is to show him, don't tell him. And I think part of that means, obviously, that, hey, I don't care the name on your back. I don't care your salary. I don't care what you speak to the media. I don't care what you say in the locker room. Prove it to me on the field. And it sounds simple, but I think it's a good mentality. It's a tough mentality. It's an old-fashioned mentality. Shut your mouth and play the game. Be tough. And we'll see who can who can stand up to that. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see who is still a Bronco after this season. I don't have super high expectations for this season. My expectations are around 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 9-7. and seven. They have a really tough schedule. They have new schemes on offense and defense. Joe Flacco is, is who knows, honestly. He's got a decent ceiling and a very low floor. Joe Flacco, the last few years, has been one of the bottom five quarterbacks in football. Now, I'm actually fairly optimistic about him because... I think he fits in the system. I think he will work well in Scandinavia's system. And I think that he has some good players around him. So I think he could really succeed. I hope he does. But we'll see. And even if he does succeed, I don't see this team. I, I'm saying if Joe Flacco has a good year, a decent year, I think they're still 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, they're just not there yet. But they're headed in the right direction. They're headed in the right direction. It's like the Denver Nuggets. Last season, they missed the playoffs by one game. That was really disappointing, but you could still see this is a young team. They're headed in the right direction. It's the same with the Broncos. They're not as young, but they are getting younger. You're building around a couple superstars in Von Miller, Chris Harris Jr., maybe. We'll talk about that later, if they re-sign him or not, or restructure his deal. But... Can they continue on a path that leads to a better place than they've been? Can they not have a losing season again? They've they've had a mess of a team. It was a team that should have rebuilt after Peyton Manning left, tried to rebuild somewhat after Peyton Manning left, yeah, nah, that's not even true. They didn't even try to rebuild. They tried to keep a team and rebuild at the quarterback position because obviously they lost Manning and they thought either that could be Osweiler or Lynch and it didn't work. And now you're seeing the fruits of that. And it's, it hasn't been a good fruit. 
when you when you have a couple bad drafts, when you fail at at bringing in a good quarterback, and when you hire the wrong coach, you're going to have some bad seasons, and it it's a hard thing to immediately turn around. Now we do see it in the NFL. We do see teams go from worst to first, and it's not impossible. The Broncos could do it. They could, but you'd have to have a lot go right, a lot. Can Philip Lindsay do what he did last year and not get hurt? Can Royce Freeman step up? Is Cortland Sutton going to take that next step to be a top-notch wide receiver? Is Noah Fant going to be a great tight end, a receiving threat like some of these other guys like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey? And I'm on the record as saying I think Noah Fant could be a top three tight end this season. This season. And if he is... If a couple other of those guys take that step, then watch out. Watch out. But I'm sticking with my 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven for now. We'll see what they do. Maybe they'll add a couple more guys. Hey, I mean, if Chris Harris Jr. doesn't play, who, who's your number one cornerback? Jackson? Jackson was brought in to be kind of your wild card at safety and, and nickel. So we'll see. We'll see going to be a fun season. It's an interesting off season. Um, we're kind of in the, the doldrums, the, the, the not very nice part of the year. You're kind of really out of football season because when you go from February until April, you have the draft, right? You can always talk about the draft. And now we can talk a few weeks about what, who they drafted, but how long can you talk about draft picks? Because no one really knows, you know, we can go on and on about Drew Locke, Noah Fant, but until they actually show up on the field, it's all just a guess, but we're going to actually send it over to the skipper dude who's going to give us a little bit of a peek in his thoughts about the draft and actually his way of going about it is saying, how good are the milehighreport.com commenters? How good are they at being able to read draft picks and free agent signings? Are they better than, you know, these, these big Big wigs like ESPN and Fox Sports have they been? Have they had their finger on the pulse of the Broncos' moves more than the the, the evil empires? It's an interesting, interesting solution that he will give us after this quick break. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As always for having me on, Kevin, I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. 
So today, as we continue to look at the 2019 draft and how it is reshaping the Broncos as a team, I thought I would take a deeper look at a cherished, time-honored axiom among NFL fans. Namely, I'm talking about the belief that it takes four to five years in order to really know how successful a draft class will be in the NFL. Does it really? Does it really take four to five years? Or rather, do we as fans have our fingers pretty well on the pulse of any given draft by Sunday of draft week? Now, of course, there are always variables that you're not going to be able to forecast immediately after a draft. Things like late bloomers uh, and, of course, injuries. But perhaps we as fans and even national draft analysts and pundits can throw our in, in our opinions immediately after a draft, and those opinions will actually stand up well over time. And even though we'll never call hit or miss correctly on every single prospect, perhaps we'll have a good feel for overall trends of good or bad for each draft. So I thought I'd conduct a little experiment. A little like we did after the free agency period here on Broncos and Bratwurst, I thought I'd go back to some noteworthy John Elway drafts of the past and see what we as fans thought of them at the time. Did we foresee nice picks like Derek Wolf or Danny Trevathan? Did we foresee the busts like Bradley Roby or Cody Latimer? And, and after taking a stroll through memory lane with the John Elway drafts, I thought I'd focus on three. The 2012 draft, arguably the best of the early John Elway GM era. The 2014 draft, arguably the worst of Elway's drafts. And then the 2018 draft, where Elway seems to have, have really turned the corner as a talent evaluator and a draft day guru. Now, if you follow Broncos and Bratwurst podcast, you know that I like to begin these types of research projects by explaining my own expectations, even before I get into the data. And when the results don't match my expectations, then we have something interesting to discuss. So with this research, I'm expecting that draft results are going to be colored by the overall excitement for the team, given how the Broncos finished the previous year, but that fans had a pretty good sense for whether a draft was good or bad. What we found in looking at free agency hits and busts was that the casual fans, the ones giving wrecks to certain comments in the comments section, really seemed to have the best feel of things. And that, that was a little bit surprising in that research, but we'll see if it carries over to the draft analysis. Okay, so on to 2012. If you remember, this draft took place right after the miracle Tim Tebow to DT playoff win against the Steelers, and also in the shadows of the Peyton Manning signing. So you had an extremely upbeat Broncos country at the time. And there were some busts in this draft, including you know second-round pick Brock Osweiler, never amounted to much more than an NFL backup. Third-round um, scat back Ronnie Hillman had a very whelming career, not much of a third-round pick. And then fourth-round um, center Philip Blake never made it out of camp. But this was a draft that really laid the foundation for the great 2015 defense. With Derek Wolf as the first pick early in second round, plus Omar Bolden in the third, Danny Trevathan in the fifth, and Malik Jackson in the sixth. Um, Trevathan and Jackson being two of Elway's best ever day three pickups. Looking at the draft now seven years later, it was a fantastic defensive draft, but not much of an offensive draft and would kind of set the tone for the next few years for the Broncos. On Mile High Report, the re recap article was written by Bronco PH and had some fairly solid analysis, saying Der the Derek Wolf pick was a surprise, but after some digging around, this selection has definitely grown on me, and the Brock Osweiler pick is baffling to me. And as I go through the comments, the conversation was actually fairly lethargic. The, the early comments dominated by the fact that every player had a Bronco jersey with number 12. Of course, it was 2012 and whether or not the Broncos needed to be drafting Peyton Manning's backup at all. 
The first real substantive comments came from Boydy2669, and he really nailed it pretty well. Wolf pick has grown on me. I like the kid's attitude, and he won't take any stuff on anyone. Seems like he can collapse a pocket and bring pressure up the middle. I like that. I like the way the D-line is shaping up. Osweiler pick just has not, nor will it, grow on me. Manning goes down, and we are in deep doo-doo. Um, Hillman reminds me of a Darren Sproles MJD mix. He will be a third down back primarily, but he will make his own role. Could be a great fit for this offense and for Manning. I really like Bolden. He could be a great find for us. He's a bigger cornerback, so he could pay, um, fit multiple roles, big nickel, as well as returner. Good pick for future and as immediate role player. Blake looks like a nasty SOB to me, a mauler, and like he's a bit older as, as means he will be, but more mature and ready for action. Okay, that was a miss. Malik should be a good rotation player and be good in certain packages as well if he continues to develop. And Malik, of course, became a beast by about his third year. He was a late, late bloomer. I love the pick of Trevathan. He's the toughest and nasty player we need at linebacker. Lots of range, fast, great laterally. And like Troy said, another big nickel answer to the tight end problem. Straight away, he will contribute on special teams. My favorite pick. So, Boy, I think pretty well nailed this draft. Now, let's compare that to the Fox Sports analysis of, of this draft. Best value pick. Blake is an older prospect who turns 27 in November, but the native Canadian has the functional strength and initial get-off to compete for a starting role at either center or right guard, two positions where the Broncos have some instability. I can miss. Questionable calls. Hillman may have been overdrafted as he's strictly an outside runner who lacks the power between the tackles and consistent hands as a receiver to be a surefire Every down back. Okay, they got that right. Summary, Wolf and Blake should be able to contribute as rookies, but there aren't any certain hits out of this class as Osweiler is an unknown quantity and fourth-round pick Bolden had an injury-marred career as a young quarterback's college teammate. The, uh, the Broncos scored far better in free agency than in the draft. Final grade, C+. C+. Okay, mile-high report, one. National media, zero. All right, so let's go on to 2014. Now, remember, this draft came in the shadow of the Broncos' humiliating 41-8 loss to Seattle in Super Bowl 48. The Broncos were pretty stacked as a team at that point, but they were over-relying on Peyton Manning and the offense and really needed to improve defensively to have a legitimate chance of returning to the Super Bowl. And with only six picks in his arsenal, John Elway absolutely laid an egg, choosing Bradley Roby in round one, wide receiver Cody Latimer in the second, Offensive, ta offensive offensive tackle, Michael Schofield in the third, and linebacker Lehman Barrow in the fifth. He did redeem himself with a fantastic sixth-round pick in Matt Paradis, but this overall was an absolutely atrocious draft. Of the re several recap articles, there was one by My Bronco Mike, may he rest in peace, that got the most attention. And again, it was a pretty solid analysis, calling Matt Paradis and, and a, a nice call, and calling Michael Schofield a bad call, um, Bradley Roby a should-be starter, and calling uh, Cody Latimer a future star. Rodney Adams had a salmon comment mostly discussing how this rookie class was not going to see much of the field in 2014. It's, it's an exciting class of rookies because the chance is there for a few of them to be major contributors. It's just sort of nature for us to look at a Super Bowl team and say that rookies and especially mid to late rounders can't reasonably be expected to carve out a substantial role. But our needs this year are so consolidated into the specific areas where we drafted at and double dipped at 
to where the chance is there for the taking. Roby is easily the, the, the early favorite to make the most impact, but he actually has the most intense competition. Barring an injury, he has to beat out Kayvon Webster, and, and that's uh, going to be a lot harder for a rookie. Okay, but then check out the, the, the other Salmon comment here from, from KT3. I think Paradis will be a starter sooner than expected. Watching the tape on this kid, I was impressed. He was never flustered by shifts in the defensive line or potential blitz, blitzers jumping the line. He always seemed to be make the right reads on who to block. He passed assignments onto other blockers flawlessly when required and picked up blitzes or stunts in the line very well. He was tenacious and never seemed to give up on a block even if the action was on the other side of the field. He reminded me very much of Tom Nalen, who was never the most athletic center, but probably one of the smartest and most tenacious to ever play the game. Wow, that, that is a solid piece of analysis right there. Holy cow. Now, let, let's look at the national take, again from Spot, Fox Sports. Roby had top 20 talent, but his stock took a hit because he was inconsistent with the Buckeyes, Ohio State, and had a high-profile off-the-field incident days before the draft. Lengthy second-round wide receiver Cody Latimer shapes up as the potential replacement for departed Eric Decker, while third-round offensive tackle Michael Schofield should provide immediate depth and could turn into a starter down the line if he hits the weight room hard. Best value pick Latimer needs to sharpen his route running skills, but he has a chance to do some special things with Peyton Manning throwing the ball to him. Questionable calls. Um, Schofield is probably not athletic enough to play on the edge, and he lacks the functional football strength to kick inside. So final grade is a B. So as usual, you know, here was a terrible, terrible draft, and, and the national media grading it a B and giving the Broncos a pretty good grade. So, I mean, you can usually... I think count on the media to the national media to get these drafts pretty well wrong. So finally, let's look at 2018, the draft that really started to turn things around here in Bronco country, 10 picks. And even a year later, this draft still looks incredibly solid. Bradley Chubb, Cortland Sutton, Royce Freeman, Isaac Yottam, Josie Jewell, Deshaun Hamilton, Troy Fumagalli, Sam Jones, Keishon Barra, and David Williams. I mean, this was just such a fantastic draft. And Tim Lynch, who wrote the recap article on day three, said it as well as I think we it could be said. The Denver Broncos enter the NFL draft with a framework to trade back with the Buffalo Bills in the first round, but then edge rusher Bradley Chubb fell into their laps. The rest of the draft went with the Broncos taking consensus solid pick after solid pick. It was a fantastic draft. Now the players just have to go out and produce. And really, the comment section was just as sanguine as Tim Lynch. Tons of salmon comments, which is usually a sign, a sign that fans are excited. And the very first one from Braun Cushion, um, pretty, Braun Cushion uh, pretty well nailed it. First four rounds, I don't see how they could be argued. Maybe some questions with the later picks, but nothing glaringly dumb. And it seems like they had a solid plan this year and followed it. All in all, an unusually good draft. The fact that experts are agreeing is a nice change of pace, too. Now, in the national media, there were accolades as well, but, but a lot of them pretty mediocre and nothing near the excitement that we saw at, at MHR. This time, Andy Benoit from SI.com gave the Bradley Chubb pick a B plus. All right, really, B plus for Bradley Chubb? Um, Chubb was not a bad pick at number one overall, so how he gets a B plus um, for, for number five overall, I, I don't know. As I did give 
the Cortland Sutton pick an A minus, but then gave Elway a B minus for Royce Freeman. Not sure I can agree with that. And then a C minus for Isaac Yadam in number 99. Again, I think a basic miss for the national media. So, Kevin, what have we learned from this exercise? Several things, I think. First, I think that the notion that you can't really evaluate rookie drafts for five years is not entirely true. As fans, especially, we seem to have a pretty solid nose for good and bad drafts. And we're definitely not going to miss on specific we're not we're going to miss on specific picks in any given season. But I do believe we're good at picking out trends and seeing the bigger picture. Second, I think the natural optimism that comes with the unknown is going to usually keep us from seeing potential busts like Bradley Roby or Brock Osweiler or even Paxton Lynch. I think that for the most part, we see most of these draft picks and we're filled with either a, a kind of a neutral optimism, a soft optimism, or, or a, a real um, uh, open optimism like, like we had in 2018. As football fans, draft day is a little like Christmas morning, and we want every one of those shiny new toys to be something special. But, so we're probably not looking at things uh, particularly objectively. Third and finally, the national media, save the few Adam Schefters of the world, are a bunch of idiots. But I probably didn't need to tell you that. Kevin, back to you. Oh, shots fired by Skipper Dude. Yes, the national media... Yeah, they don't definitely don't always nail their draft predictions or draft results, um, their grades, whatever. Um, part of it is because I, I understand if you if you're a national media person, you have to cover every team. You, you're looking at covering at least 32 picks and probably much much more, and so eventually it gets to be total chaos and totally nutso. And so especially the predictions, it's just, it's really a guess. And I think it's, it is pretty ridiculous. So I, I don't really blame them for, for missing it up because again, they're not like us that they, they only are focused really on one team or a group of players. And so we can really have more of a pulse of what the team needs, but still we as fans obviously don't get paid millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands, whatever it is to, to cover the NFL and to, to, to say, you know, your feelings on the draft and, and to see how badly they do sometimes is it is a little, um, I don't know, a little sad, I think. And again, and I said this over and over the whole Drew Locke thing going in the first round. Yeah. They ended up with him in the second Elway liked him, but did I not say this from the very first day, the whole rumors of Drew Locke was Elway valued him as a second rounder. I said it from day one and I was totally right. Yes. I'm not right about everything. I'm probably right about one-tenth of what I say, or a hundredth, I don't know, but I was right about Drew Locke. And what the national media does is they buy into a simple narrative because it's easy. They don't have to study into it. They said, John Elway loves big, strong quarterbacks, so that's, of course, what he's going to draft, period, end of story, I'm done. And it's weak. It's lazy. It was lazy. I'm not saying for everyone, but for a lot of the national media, it was just lazy. Now, you know, when you go through and grade them, and this is the crazy thing to me, I, I went through and, and I, I saw a lot of the grades. Some of the guys gave the Broncos a really high grade, like Mel Kuyper, guys who actually, you know, know all of these players, but others gave the Broncos, I don't know, a, a, a C or a C plus or whatever, and they didn't like the Drew Locke trade and or, or draft. And they're the same guys who said that he, they should pick him at 10. And this is even some of our local media, some of our local media 
predicted that the Broncos would draft him at 10, were actually okay with that, and then were upset that they drafted him at 42. Are you kidding me? Why? Well, I mean, what? It's like some people just want to be upset. I mean, and they just want to cause issues. They want to be, you know, the people who are throwing things out there that fans can get angry with. And it, I think it's a bit lame. I don't, I don't love it. And and so you see, you get really good content with MileHighProject.com, but you also get good comments. Not always. Some of the comments are, are ridiculous, and and I know some of the commenters and, and my listeners don't love me, don't love my takes. I mean, that all started since I backed Vance Joseph. I haven't had the best reputation. I've had a couple articles that were complained of being clickbait. I just said, hey, you know, if you write a good headline, it's a good headline. But yeah, no one, no one is right all the time. And, and so I, I give people a break. The whole Drew Locke thing, I, I, I don't because I think, again, a lot of the time it was just lazy. People didn't want to do the work. They didn't want to actually look into what LOA would do. I think some of the guys um, locally, I know Skipper Dude nailed it. He said that the Broncos would trade back. Um, he actually thought they may even trade out of the first round. And I think if Noah Fant wasn't there, it could have happened. I think Fant was about the last guy that they actually liked in the first round. They had some guys that they really loved in the second round. Obviously, Dalton Reisner ended up being Drew Locke. Um, I could see if, if Noah Fant hadn't been there, I think they probably or at least likely could have. And it's, it's who knows. Now it's all hypothetical, of course. But when you again, I mean, when you look at Noah Fant, and he has to be kind of in the spotlight. Now, now we all know that the offseason is going to eventually be quarterback controversy because they drafted a quarterback in the first two rounds, and that is inevitable. You're going to have controversy. Now, I know I know, I said that last week, and, and commenters were like, oh my gosh, Kevin, you know, just creating controversy where it doesn't exist. It does exist. It will. You know it will. Don't, don't give me a break. You really think that there's not going to be controversy? You really think that the first pick six Joe Flacco throws isn't going to immediately have fans saying, oh, Drew Locke. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying Drew Locke should start. I'm just saying there is going to be controversy. Of course there's going to be controversy. You have a young stud QB who, who knows how good he'll be, but he looks good. He's a top two-round pick. And then you have Joe Flacco, who fans hated I hated him. <laughs> I mean, it's just the truth. I've come around to it. I think he does fit in the system. I understand it. He's a better quarterback than Case Keenum, and he's at a good value. So it's cool. I'm cool with it. But truly, when I did polls on milehighreport.com about who the Broncos should or could bring in at quarterback, Joe Flacco was always, by a long shot, a long shot, he was always the least picked. I mean, it wasn't even close. You would, if I gave, I think I gave options like Joe Flacco, Teddy Bridgewater, or a rookie. Or Joe Flacco. Yeah, Joe Flacco, Teddy Bridgewater, rookie. And rookie would get something like 60%. Teddy Bridgewater would get something like 38%. And Joe Flacco would get something like 2%. And this was not just once. This happened over and over. Fans did not want Joe Flacco. Now, maybe they can at least come around a bit to it. But keep in mind, if he goes out and the Broncos go 0-4, they go 2-6, and or they go, you know, 6-10. and 
fans have no love for him. He's not a guy that that the Broncos fans, you know, are are ready to to welcome with open arms. Now he is our quarterback, and I I agree with this. He's our quarterback, and I think he should be this year and maybe into the future. I'm not speaking for myself. I'm just saying this is the fan. This is how fans think. This is how Broncos fans think. Look what's happened in the past. You're, you're, if you have someone else on the bench who has already been labeled as the potential future of the franchise, and you have a veteran guy who fans didn't like in the first place, and he struggles at all, you're going to have a controversy coming out your ears. And John Elway set that up, for better or worse. And I imagine Joe Flacco probably groaned when he heard that they've drafted a quarterback in the second round. It was probably like, oh, come on, dude, really? Now, yeah, I'm sure he's fine with competing, but the competing is not the problem. You're, you're going to have this in your ears all the time. If Even if Joe Flacco goes, say, 4-4, four and four, and then in that, in that ninth game, he, he throws a pick six, what are fans going to do? Let's say this is in Denver. What are fans? What are Denver fans going to do? Do you think that they'll probably boo? Maybe they won't care, but most likely, what are they going to do? They're going to chant for Drew Locke. They're going to. So the question is not what the fans want, I guess, but what's best for the team. Now, my opinion is that Drew Locke should sit a year, but it, it, it's that is not an easy opinion. <laughs> you know what's terrible? I, I totally went into this this segment, and I even said I wanted to talk Noah Fant, and I ended up talking quarterbacks. Oh, my gosh. I have become everything I hate in the media. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, a little bit more, and then we'll go back to Noah Fant and Chris Harris Jr. Anyway, I think they, yeah, Locke should wait a year, and Flacco should start a year. But that it's not an easy thing to come up with. This is not simple. If you if you start Drew Locke on day one, you're throwing him to the wolves. And he's a guy who's a he is he is someone who needs development. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But how much development? If the Broncos have another eight and eight season or a losing season, especially, what do you benefit with Joe Flacco at quarterback? Nothing. You benefit nothing. He's not your future. He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's not an all. He's not a a um, Pro Bowl quarterback. He has the potential to lead us somewhere. But if he doesn't, what do you do then? If they're four and four, if they're six and in in I don't know. If they're, let's say if they're four and eight, four and eight through twelve games, which they could be. Again, tough schedule. What do you do? What what, what do you benefit from Flacco playing? Nothing. But what do you benefit from Drew Lock? sitting that's the question does drew lock if, if they go four and eight does drew lock benefit more from starting or does he benefit more from sitting on the bench and i have no answer for that some people say that a quarterback should be thrown in there and the only way to learn is through playing and that's that is a good philosophy i see nothing wrong with it but you could also say that you know if you throw them in there and they struggle and they get just destroyed on the field, a kid ruined them forever. I guess that's the downside. So, so it's, it's hard to say. 
hard to say. And, and I think that the coaching staff has set themselves up for a tough decision, unless, of course, Joe Flacco succeeds, which I am totally for. Hey, I didn't love Joe Flacco, but if he goes and succeeds, he's my quarterback. People think I'm hating on Joe Flacco. Yeah, I didn't like him. Fans didn't like him. Go back and look at the polls. But he's here now. He's our quarterback. I am all in on Joe Flacco. I don't want Drew Locke to start this year. You know why? Because I want the Broncos to win. I never want the Broncos to lose, ever. Not one game. Of course I don't. I'm a fan. I was a fan way before I started doing podcasts or writing articles for MyHeartReport.com. I, 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 I care. I, I bleed orange and blue, as I'm sure most of you do. Nobody wants to lose. So, yeah, I want Joe Flacco to win. I want him to succeed. I hope he does. He could. And part of why he could is because he has a guy at tight end who could be special. Man, have you guys seen this video of Noah Fant out there on the practice field during the, the rookie OTAs? The dude looks like a Greek god among men. And that's no slight, that's no insult to these other guys out there on the field. The other guys look good. They're big, strong dudes. They look like athletic people. But Noah Fant looks different. He looks different. His body, oh, he, just, he looks like a guy who could be special, truly special. He's a rookie. Who knows? He could be a total bust. But again, I, I see this guy as being someone who immediately impacts this team, hugely impacts this team. Perfect system fit, perfect fit with Joe Flacco. You have guys around him who are, who are going to force double teams like Cortland Sutton, Emmanuel Sanders, Philip Lindsay, if he starts catching the ball out of the backfield, you're going to open up the seams. You're going to open up the middle of the field and Noel Fant is going to eat teams alive. Love it. Love it. I, I mean, I think he is the best system fit that I've seen the Broncos draft for a long time. And, and Scangarello is a guy who just worked with, with George Kittle. Okay, he was a quarterback coach, but still, he, he was part of that offense that, that made him great, made him have a great season. And he's a good tight end, very good, obviously. But Noel Fant is, is definitely more physically gifted. I don't think anyone would deny that. Now, is he a better route runner? Is he more dependable? We'll see. But just physically gifted? The dude is special. Special. He has better numbers. He had a better combine. He, had, he, had, he can run faster and jump higher than Cortland Sutton. A wide receiver, at least at their combines. That's something. That is something. I mean, this if they if the quarterback can do his job, if the offensive line can do their job, if they can give the quarterback time, you've got pieces. They're, they're starting to build something here. You, you can see it. Again, like the Denver Nuggets, there is a shape forming to this team. You can start to see an identity. You're going to start to see this, this, this offense shape into this Shanahan-style offense. You're going to start to see offensive linemen running a zone-blocking scheme. You're going to see probably more play action. You're going to see more bootlegs. You're going to see more passes to a tight end because Flacco loves it. And so does the Scangarello offense. Now, the question, too, is on defense. I think as Broncos fans... We've grown accustomed to having a great defense, and we've had a good or great defense since, geez, 2012 probably, 2011 even. Even in the Tebow days, it was a great defense. 
Tim Tebow was magical, and I love the dude, but the defense was a big, big, big reason why they were there, of course. The defense practically won the Super Bowl. They had some of the best performances I've ever seen in the 2015 playoffs in that season. Now, the question is, is that defense still very good or great? And they've had some real issues in the last few seasons. And in really the last 10 years, they can't cover tight ends. They can't cover running backs. And now, of course, you have the issue that Chris Harris Jr., your top cornerback by a long shot, may sit out. He's not happy with his income. He's not happy with his paycheck. And he could say, no, I'm not going to play. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. If Kareem Jackson's your number one cornerback, you're in trouble because he's a guy who I like. I like him a lot. I, I, I totally pounded the table for him, but not as your number one cornerback. He's not a guy who's going to shut down the opposite best receiver. He's a guy who can be kind of your wild card. He's your he's your joker out there. He, he can play nickel. He can play safety. He can play some cornerback, and that's what he's going to do. If he's your number one guy, no. You're, you're not looking good. And, and so a lot hinges around Chris Harris Jr. And I think Elway knows that. But Elway also knows that cornerbacks usually decline rapidly after the age of 30. There is a fantastic article on milehighreport.com. I believe it was by Jeffrey Essery. Um, right now, I think it's, it, was, it was the top page before at least my article comes up. So it's, it's, it's on the front page. Look it up. It's about the, the age... Um, I forget the, the name of the title, but it's pretty much what happens to cornerbacks when they reach a certain age. Really well written, really well researched, and really fascinating. That I mean, it pretty much says that the cornerbacks at about the age 32 really drop off both in production and in price. And Chris Harris Jr. wants to be paid as one of the top cornerbacks in football, which he deserves. No question. I, I don't doubt that. I don't think anyone does. But the question is, how long does he deserve it? He's already 30. You can't pay a guy for four years, 15 million. And you can't pay him until he's 34. That's just, that's the fact of it. And I think Elway knows that. I think Chris Harris Jr. probably knows that. But he does deserve to be paid more than he's being paid now. That's also a no-brainer. So I think, I hope that they both can come to terms with something. They can say, hey, let's meet in the middle. Let's do $13 million for for three years, four years even. Uh, there's another one on milehighreport.com right now by um, Ozark Ozark Orange. It's a fan um, a fan blog. It's really good. Also, it really goes through the numbers, what he could be paid, what what Ozark thinks he should be paid in the next few years. Also, a great read. It'll be interesting. I, I think my, my gut says that both sides really do want something to work out. I think Chris Harris Jr. absolutely does want to retire a Bronco. I do believe that totally. And I believe that Elway knows how important he is to this team. Elway wants to win now. We've, we've gone through that before. There's no doubt about that. He, he brought in Flacco to win now. Now, if you want to win now, you need to have a number one corner. And Kareem Jackson is not a number one corner. So Chris Harris Jr. needs to be part of this team, at least this year. At least this year. And to do that, you're going to have to appease him somehow. And I think they do. I think they meet, they, they reach some terms. Now, maybe it's not what Chris Harris Jr. wants. Maybe it's not what Elway wants, but it's somewhere in between. I, I think they reach it. I think they do. Otherwise, the defense is going to, it's not looking great. 
And honestly, I think there are still holes on this defense. I think they've they've done a good job on the defensive line. I love Shelby Harris. Um, I love the the rookie that they got in the third round. Um, Thomas, I believe is his name. I think he'll, he'll be good. Help with the the depth. You got Zach Kerr. So, so you have a good D-line. It's I wouldn't say it's a great D-line, but it's a good D-line. I don't love the edge rush depth. There's no depth. Where's the depth at edge rush? Shaq Barrett's gone. Shane Ray, for as bad as he was, is gone. You have Von Miller. You have Bradley Chubb. You have Hollins, who they drafted. But they're saying maybe he could be an inside linebacker, at least part of the time. I think that's something they need to address in in free agency. They need to bring in someone else, maybe some veteran guy, someone who's dumped after... um, maybe after the summer. They need to add to that. Uh, I mean, someone, some veteran would be great. Someone like, you know, okay, not like DeMarcus Ware. You can't just bring in someone like DeMarcus Ware. But I mean, someone who is a veteran guy who has abilities, he's shown he can do it in the past. And there, there's almost always someone or, or a few people who are available and around July or August or even September. And that's something I think they need to address. If they don't sign Chris Harris Jr., they really need to address cornerback. But I think they sign him. So then, of course, the question comes down to, okay, how is their coverage of the tight end and running back? Now, I think, again, that's why they brought in Kareem Jackson. Jackson is going to shadow your tight end. He's smaller, but he's a, he's a tough dude. He's athletic. And I think he's going to be your nickel guy who's going to be that mismatch the guy who's going to turn that defense into something that could be special if you have good enough defensive backs around him. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what they do for the rest of the offseason. It'll be fun to watch these, these rookies continue this week, see what they can do, see what Drew Locke can, can figure out in that offensive scheme, and see if he can learn a few more plays. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time because there is a path. There is a plan. Now the Broncos just need to find the best way to execute it for the near future and for the long term. And here's to hoping that the Broncos have their long-term solution at quarterback already on their team. That's all I've got for you today. Um, I, I can't say go... Nuggets or go Avalanche. Um, I'm going to have to go. And I, I was getting so used to watching highlights every morning and, and delving into what people were saying about hockey and basketball. And now I'm going to go and, um, I don't know, I guess I'll watch replays of the Rockies and uh, see what people say about the Broncos rookie OTAs. Good times, good times. All right, I'll see you guys next week. And until then, peace. Peace.